I really like that song. Anybody with me on that? What a blessing it is to sing about who we are in Christ. I've got my lovely assistants right here helping us out. Give them a big hand. Thank you. Well, here's my question for you this morning. We're talking about our words. And we're in James chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the words that come out of our mouths. So let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you have something that you've said this week that has come out of your mouth and you would like to take back? Anybody? How many of you have had an opportunity to say something that needed to be said in the moment and the words that should have been said did not come out of your mouth? Anybody there? We're going to look at the book of James this morning. We're going to look at the word, and it will be a convicting word, and it will be a transformative word for us this morning. One of my deep convictions about the book of James is it can both convict, it can identify where we're off, but it also gives us a path to growth, a path to actually grow and become more like Jesus. So that's my hope this morning, that we can both learn, we can identify where we may be off, but also let's take a path forward. Let's do that together this morning. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true and helpful. And I ask now that you would open up our minds, our hearts, for your word and your spirit to work. I pray that my words are clear and they're helpful and they bring you glory and honor and I pray that you burn off whatever doesn't do those things. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I invite you to turn to James chapter 3. If you're newer with us, we're in a series that we're calling Real Faith for Real People in the Real World. So how does this faith actually work on the ground, in the moment, in everyday life? We said week one that who you are drives what you do. Who you are drives what you do. The habits that we practice, those are what shapes who we are becoming. And one of the fundamental pieces here of this is that, and we sang about it, that our identity in Christ is not something that we had to earn or achieve, but it's something that we have received from Christ. And that is a tremendous blessing, and that is foundational to all that we're going to say here this morning. We said last week that Jesus gives us everything we need to break free from the broken systems that break people. That in Jesus we have a a new reason for love, we have unlimited resources, and we have an eternal relationship, responsibility, and reward. And all of these things are going to drive us towards thinking about the actual words that we say on a daily basis. Because every word that we speak is an opportunity for us. So let's dig in. James chapter 3. 
verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. As you hear those words about your words, about my words, about our words, how do you respond? When I hear those, I am convicted. I, I see these vivid word pictures for James, from James that, frankly, don't need a lot of explanation. He gives us some very clear pictures. He says our, our words, our tongue is like a bit that controls a horse or like a rudder that controls a ship. So our words, our mouths, though small, control our whole body, control our whole selves. Had a wonderful opportunity to be a part of our parenting class uh, run by TJ and her family ministry team. Wonderful class. And, and, and one, of, one of the tenets that we're trying to get across to our parents is that words over time develops direction. The words that we say shape our kids' lives. They shape the lives of those around us. So we see these very clear pictures. Our words are also a spark that can set a forest on fire. They're also a poison. Our words are powerful. They have potential and they can be, quite frankly, very dangerous. The words that we say come from who we are at the core. Jesus says a few times, out of the overflow of the, of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we say, how we say it, is a reflection of who we are at the deepest level. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. 
So ultimately, James is emphasizing that this is a heart issue. It's an identity issue. Out of the same mouth, we praise God and curse people. How can this be? James is going to challenge us. How can we claim to love God on our vertical relationship and say unloving words to people? Words that tear down, words that are destructive, words that are half true. We could go on and on, but part of the reality of the human condition is we are out of alignment. We have a disconnect between our love for God and our love for others. So how do we get better at this? I'd like to improve. I would like to become the type of person whose words consistently are loving, consistently reflect the goodness of God. I believe that you're here because you want that too. The good news is James doesn't just leave us here. I want to continue in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness." So what is the answer here? The answer is a wisdom from God that produces humility in us that changes our heart, that leads us to changes in our words. We live in the sea of selfish ambition. That's the reality of our world. Now here's the bottom line I'd like to share with you. And then we'll talk about how we can apply this. You can't control the trials that test your tongue. But you can control the training that transforms your heart. Let me say that again. You can't control the trials that test your tongue, but you can control the training that transforms your heart. So we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about training. Now, when we think about approaches to how we grow, let me outline a few approaches that in and of themselves I don't think are all that helpful. The first one is this, is simply to try harder. To just try harder to change what you say in the moment. You can count to 10, but that doesn't work long term. You may have to count to a million sometimes. But simply trying harder to change your behavior in the moment only has short-term improvement. 
Now, there's a truth under that that says effort does matter. All right? What we do does matter. The intentional effort and energy we apply to things does matter. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But the lie is that you can change your behavior without changing your heart. That's that whole salt water, fresh water, that whole identity piece. Now, when I was thinking about this this week, some of you have come to this conclusion. This is who I am. I am the type of person who keeps trying and failing. And I feel like I'm on an endless treadmill of guilt and shame with moments of temporary success and relief. But I'm on the treadmill of trying harder, and it's not getting me anywhere. Some of you are probably there this morning. You hear these words from James, and and, and you don't need more explanation to know where you're off. But you feel like you're on a treadmill of just trying harder. Now, the second approach is simply to live in your brokenness. There's truth. Brokenness and pain can be a starting point for dependence on God and training. It can be a starting point. But the lie is that you have to stay there. The lie is that you have to stay in your brokenness. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 7, 18. He says, for I know the good, that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. That's part of the reality of the human condition. We all do things we don't want to do. We all battle sin. Sometimes, though, we, we live in Romans 7 without also experiencing the blessing of Romans 8, that I'm a child of God, that we sang about. But there's some truth, but there's a lie that says I have to stay where I am. Sometimes we, you know, we live in a time where we, oftentimes we celebrate brokenness, not as just a starting point, but as an ending point. The good news of following Jesus, he has more for us, and he has the resources that we need, and we can ask him for. So this pattern is saying, this is who I am. I have accepted my identity as a broken, sinful person who has a pattern of saying the wrong things, has a pattern of hurtful speech, has a pattern of lying, has a pattern of whatever, and I'm content to stay there. Well, someday I'll go to heaven and it'll all work out. The promises of heaven are real and true, but God has more for us today. Now, let's train. Let's talk about training because this is where the hope is, This is where the opportunity is for us. Let me take you to 1 Timothy 4, verse 7. This is the Apostle Paul writing to young Timothy. 
And he says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. So let's talk about training. Let's talk about training for a few moments here. Now, let's let's get our minds right as we approach this concept of training. Training requires some intelligent thinking. Training is going to require some effort. Training is going to require the Spirit of God. Training is going to require each other. All right? So let's let's get down to the nitty-gritty of life right now. Let's talk about training. All right? First of all, let's talk about words in the moment. Let's talk about that moment when whatever comes out, comes out. This is a timeline of your life, my life, our lives, and there are words that come out. I could tell you embarrassing stories of things I've said that I'd like to have back. We don't have enough time. Just trust me on that. I've said stupid things that I'd like to have back. I've said hurtful things that I'd like to have back. I failed to say encouraging words that I wish I could have that moment back. But there are, we all have words in the moment. Let me tell you a little story. Heard this week, two families, two elementary school children on the same soccer team. I have changed the names to protect the innocent. So let me tell you a little story about Jack and Diane. (laughs) Two American kids growing up in the heartland. That just came to me. Let's call them Jack and Diane. Jack and Diane are on the same soccer team. Jack is playing goalie. I don't know much about soccer. I know you can use your hands there. Diane has got a strong right foot. She kicks it, hits Jack in the face really hard, really hard. Life trials right here. Jack has found himself in a trial, in pain. The soccer ball has hit him in the face. They are impacting him at this moment. Jack has a choice. How is Jack going to respond in the moment? Oh, my fellow sister in Christ, what a vigorous kick that was. (laughs) I don't believe that's what came out of Jack's mouth. I think some hateful words came out of Jack's mouth. Now, that's not the end of the story. 
Have you been there? We've all had a version of getting a soccer ball kicked and hitting us in the face. Some version of that. Some life trial. Now, if we take a hard left at the beginning of James, we say consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because they develop perseverance and grow us in our faith. In the trial, we often forget that. Now, so let's talk about training. I'll finish the story about Jack in a moment. Jack and Diane also have parents that we won't identify. And there's tremendous opportunity when this happens. How many of you have ever seen parents behaving badly in youth sports? How many of you have ever seen parents behaving wisely in youth sports? That's a, that's a rare occasion. The temptation in this would be to, that spark to continue to go. Family's in conflict. I've seen it. I've seen lifetime friendships destroyed over how many innings a kid's going to pitch in a little league game. That's tragic. By people who claim to follow Jesus. Now I'm preaching. All right. Now, we got life trials. We also have the Holy Spirit acting upon our words in the moment. Now, let's talk about training, what that looks like. Again, we've got to slow the film down. I want you to picture that ball right there in the face. That's our moment. We're training for that moment. We're also training for that moment after the words have been said. So we have what I'm going to call preparation and reflection. Two pieces of the training. Both are critical. Both are critical. I hope everybody's got some words in the moment that they're filtering this example through. Now, let's talk about... The elements of preparation. Now, I'm going to say things like you need to be in the Word, you need to pray, you need other people. All those things, the usual cesspucks, those are all true. But I want to give you maybe some different ways to think about that. All right, the first thing, we need inspiration. We need inspiration. And I don't simply mean pep talk inspiration. Although sometimes we need a little of that. We need a little scripture to remind us of that. We need a verse. We need, we need something tacked on the mirror, something tacked on the fridge, something in our car. But when you think about inspiration, and I love having Steve here and thinking about the word of God being translated, but I want to I go back to just what this inspiration means. Because we're shaped by the inspired word of God. Let me take you real quick to 2 Timothy 3.16. Invite you to just go there, turn on your phone, turn to it, or just write down 2 Timothy 3.15 or 16. I'll just go to 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in 
righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Part of our inspiration, what is the source of your inspiration? It is the Word of God. The very words of God in your life, shaping you, shaping me, shaping us, matter. Now, another part of inspiration, I want to take you to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So I want you to consider the inspiration of the Word of God, these God-breathed words, and we have the very Spirit of God to guide us. Don't gloss over that. The very Spirit who is present in creation, the very Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you in me, in us, when we put our faith and trust in Christ. James is right. He says very clearly, I'm writing to you believers. Okay? If you're a believer in Christ, you have that. If you're not a believer in Christ, you don't. If you're not, a, I'm so glad you're here if you're not a believer. I would invite you, consider this. Consider the truths of the gospel. Consider the truths of the resurrection. If you have pushback, doubts, questions, I'm tired of the hypocrisy I've seen, whatever the case, let's have a conversation. And if you're going to reject something, know what you're rejecting. But let's dive in. So there's inspiration, and I'm going to say influence. What are the things that you're allowing into your life? What is affecting that? There's training in that. My father-in-law, old school family doc, he said this of surgeons sometimes. He said, if, every, if you swing a hammer all day, everything looks like a nail. In other words, what, whatever you're involved in on the regular is what you tend to see. So what is influencing you? What is your, what are the, what's, what's your training regimen here? What are, what are you allowing into your life? All right, so there's inspiration, there's influence. I'm going to call it imagination. I'm going to call it imagination. I'm going to, I'm going to take you to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Do you have a picture of that? That's real. That's true. You have a life with God now and forever. And that matters when you get hit in the face with a soccer ball. There's imagination and then finally identity. We've already sung about it. It's Romans 8. I'm a child of God when I put my faith and trust in him. That means we're brothers and sisters in Christ. That means we're part of the family and we're together. 
Now, this is preparation. Getting that through the Word, I'm getting that through the Spirit, getting that through community, all these things. But then there's reflection. Review and respond. The beautiful thing about this story is this. Jack said some unkind, mean words. Jack went home, talked with his parents, had some review, and they said, you know what, that girl, she's so mean, I'm going to go after her whole family. No, that's not what happened. They processed it, they talked about it, and there's a whole life of some of this, of even as a young man, serving, learning about Jesus, praying, all these come into play. And by the time the parents actually had more conversation, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to apologize. I'm going to go to her and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Now, I want you to think about that moment. I've coached a lot of games, been involved in a lot of sports. Tell me how much more important that moment was than however many goals were scored in that game. Because that's a training process that's leading to some long-term growth. I'm so proud of that family. I'm so proud of that kid. Because we all mess up. Nobody can tame the tongue. But we can train. We can't control the trials that tempt our tongue. But we can control the training that transforms our heart. Amen? Now, one of the ways we remember, one of the ways we quite frankly train together as a family is we come to the communion table together. And I want you to think about this for a moment. You know, what do we, what do, we do when we come to the table together? We remember. We remember. We remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples in the upper room. And after giving thanks, he broke the bread and gave it to him. said, this is my body given for you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and said, this cup represents my blood. Blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. So just as we receive the bread, we also receive the cup and we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And here at Community Church, communion is... It's for us as believers who put our faith and trust in Christ. It's open to all who have put their faith and trust in Christ. doesn't mean we haven't had lots of these bad moments this week. It means that the table is open for all who've taken that step of faith. Now, this morning, I want to pray for us. And I want to pray for us uh, with the prayer that I've written on our prayer card. And I want this to be a prayer of acknowledgement, a prayer of confession. Some of this may apply to you, some of it may not. But let's pray 
together. Father, we read your word and we are convicted. We have spoken words that have torn people down. We have failed to speak words of truth and encouragement when they were needed. Show us today, Holy Spirit, the areas of our hearts that we need to change. We're tired of simply trying harder, and we're tired of giving up and living satisfied in our brokenness. Show us, Holy Spirit, how to train. Fill our imagination with the clear and beautiful picture of Jesus that guides our worship and shapes our identity. Help us to recognize the power and potential of our words. Please give us what we need and show us the habits we need to practice to become wise people. People who speak words that honor you and build up our brothers and sisters in Christ. Shape our hearts so that our words become bridges to you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.